Good morning. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Exodus, chapter 32. Exodus 32. Now, we've been going through the book of Exodus, and we remember that God (coughs) miraculously brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Pillar of fire by night, cloud of smoke by day. Now, again, a daily miracle for all to see of the presence of God in their lives. Now, when we look at this, we remember that God was going then to give Moses the Ten Commandments, also all the ingredients that were going to go into the tabernacle of meeting in the wilderness, and then eventually into Solomon's temple. And we find that all outlined for us from chapters 25 to 31. The last verse that we read last week, or the week before, um, is this thing echoey, 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 echoey? Just, okay. Anyway, chapter 24 was that, so Moses uh, went into the midst of the cloud, went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Then God, on that mountain, gives Moses a hard copy of the Ten Commandments, if you will. Tells him how to make all the elements, the menorah, all the things that were to go into the the temple. And that brings us up to chapter 32. Now, you can read that at your own leisure. And when we get into uh, the ordaining of the uh, tabernacle of meeting and the temple, we can spend a little more time in those chapters. But... um, So, Moses is on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, you would think that they would be good. But, you know, the Olson nature of man is that by nature we're not good. This is one of the strangest things that you'll find when you'll look at your kids and say, can't you just be good? And they'll look at you with those cute little toothless smiles and say, yeah, for about two seconds. And then they're fighting, and they're lying, and they're pulling each other's hair. And you wonder, God, what is wrong with them? You see, they're not able to mask the old sin nature. As we get older, we become accustomed to doing. And what's really amazing to me is they will uh, think they're deceiving you. What's in your hand? Nothing. What's in the other hand? Nothing. Oh, I'll never figure that out. They have their little stairway to heaven. You know, they pull the little drawers out as they climb up the drawers to get to the cookies. They they have it all figured out. This is part of the deception. Well, Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. God is speaking to him and says, okay, Moses, the gang's in trouble. You better go down and straighten them out. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we just ask you that these words become alive to our hearts, that we remember them and we understand more fully why we have to keep you in the forefront of our heart all the time. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain... The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as far as Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So 
Aaron, brother Aaron, Aaron, his uh, brother, make us some gods. Eeny beeny, chilly beeny, okay. We're going to whip it up in the old god machine. You know, it's really weird when you stop to think about it. Make us gods. You know, when you really understand the depravity of man, the foolishness of man apart from God, you realize it's quite scary, friends. A person on their deathbed, rejecting God, in a few minutes they'll be dead, and you try to share faith with them, you try to share how Jesus uh, uh, came and would forgive their sins, and people are so foolish and so arrogant, they think they're going to get up out of that hospital bed in a few minutes and go out and live their life like they've always done. That's what sin does. Sin always blinds people to reality. This is what's wrong with your friends. When you say, don't you see? Can't you see the mess you're in? Don't you see you're destroying your life? And they'll look at you and say, oh, no, I'm okay. And they know they're not. This is part of what we're talking about. Come, make us gods that shall go before us. It is interesting within the heart of man, we want to be led. We do. That's why we have kings and presidents and leaders. There's something in us that wants to follow the leader. Now here, interestingly, you'll notice that the crowd came to Aaron. Aaron being Moses' brother and a spokesperson who had seen all the miracles of God, who helped be the spokesman for Moses in front of Pharaoh at the ten plagues, all those things. They came as a gang to Aaron. Now, remember, um, following the crowd is always a dangerous thing. Whether it's in church, whether it's in the social structure of our society, whether it's in political realms or following fads and trends of the day, they came to him. And Aaron said to them, break off your golden earrings, which are in your ears, uh, in your wives, uh, ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off their earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. Interesting, he has a he has an offering here. He said, okay, you want gods? Okay, here, we're going to have to make it out of something. Break off all the gold that you got. And so they brought it and put it there. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, a couple of things we want to notice. He made it. He made a golden calf, and the people said, Aaron didn't say this. Notice this real quickly because it's important. And they said, it wasn't Aaron that said this. Aaron is going along with the crowd. Now, the problem with Aaron, he's showing no leadership here. He's not saying what you're doing is really wicked. Why don't you just stop? Let's call upon the Lord. Here's the pillar of fire by night and the cloud of smoke by day to keep the sun from cooking their little bodies. Living in the midst of the miracles and the power of God, wanting to be idolatrous. Does this tell you anything about What's wrong with human beings? Do you know the Bible says no good thing dwells in the flesh? 
And really, when you look at it, you realize the only good thing about you and me and any of us is Jesus living inside of us. And the only reason he's living inside of us is because we ask him to be there. Now, it's really wonderful when we walk in the Spirit, we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But the problem is, when we don't walk in the Spirit, I find we can be as depraved as these people we're reading about. This is what the Bible talks about. This is why you want to keep your heart, protect your heart, and keep it close to the Lord. There's things in the world that will take your heart away from God. What are some of those things? The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now, your friends, the people you hang with, will influence a lot of your moral value. If you hang out with a bunch of losers, don't be surprised if you're doing the same loser things they're doing. That's why you want to be careful. Pick your friends wisely. Solomon said, In Proverbs, it isn't that the good rubs off on the bad, it's the bad rubs off on the good. Pick your friends wisely, number one. Number two, it's you leak, I leak, we all leak. We need to be refilled by the Spirit of God. And so I need to go and spend time with the Lord every day. Now there are days that I don't, and the days that I don't, I feel it, Maybe not that day, but I'll feel it down the week if I don't spend some time with the Lord. And that just means going, getting alone with the Lord and saying, God, I love you. Thank you for what you've done. What do you want me to do for you today? And being refilled and refreshed by God's purpose for your life, not what the world says the purpose for your life is. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life will drain the spirit right out of you. And so being aware of that, they came to Moses, excuse me, Aaron, and said, make us gods. We don't know what's happened to this Moses dude. He went up on the mountain. He's gone now. By the way, it'd be different if it said he's been gone for 14 years. He was gone for 40 days. They had just seen the lightning flash, the smoke on Mount Sinai, all that. There was barricade put up. They could only come so far, but they all heard the voice of God. And in less than 40 days, this is what they've fallen into. Now notice he says, he received their goal. He made them what they wanted. By the way, be careful of a God made in your image or in your understanding. The Bible says, God says, my ways are not your ways. God's ways are far above yours. And by the way, that's good news, friends. That means God's got a greater purpose for you in your life than you think God does. I like that. In other words, God's got better favor thoughts for you than you do. So he says, he received it. He made that for them. Then they said, this is the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. See, now Aaron, once now distance, now he's becoming part of this big deception. Oh, friends, when you find yourself being deceived, you figure out you're on the wrong road, get off of it. 
If you see yourself in your life, things presented themselves, and you find your life now being surrounded by lies and distortions and these things, come to your senses and say, I'm on the wrong road. I've got to repent. I've got to get off this. It's going to kill me. But Aaron didn't do that. Aaron goes along with it. And he makes an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Now, I don't know what Aaron was trying to do here exactly. Whether he was trying to take the golden calf and mix the Lord in with it, or he was trying to in some way consecrate the idol and say, well, in fact, this is the image. But what's really amazing to me is that he tried to mingle them. And you'll find in your life, you cannot serve two masters. You can't have a golden calf in your life and be serving God at the same time. It just doesn't work. Why? Because we are centralized thinking people. And when we look and we say, okay, God, this is what I want you to do in my life. But I've got a lot of other little gizmos going over here on the side. A lot of little, other little godettes, if you will. You know, when God blesses you, and God will, God wants to get the glory, not have it distributed amongst the golden calves. Now, it's really weird to me, and in fact, in the Hebrew, really the golden calf here speaks, speaks of more of, a, of a, a cow, like a bull, about in their prime, like a three-year-old bull. This is like, you know, the symbol of strength. They had just came out of Egypt, very pantheistic, lots of gods, lots of idols, and their culture, the Hebrew children being in an Egyptian culture, influenced their thinking about who God was and what God is. So when they brought, they came out of the the slavery of Egypt on their way to the promised land, listen, they haven't been gone out of Egypt that long. They had saw the miracles of God. They'd walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Now making golden calves? Well, they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings to the people, and sat down uh, to eat, drink, and rose up to play. The word to play in the Hebrew means orgies. Whoa. Now you can see how depraved people are. Again, when you see that it's not within us by nature to live righteously, oh, that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, a religious leader of the day, John chapter 3, you must be born again. Religion is not what you need. What you need is God, the creator of the universe, to come and reside inside of you. They got and rose up to play. It was a very, a very interesting word here that the translators used for us. But it was really, they were completely in a depraved state of mind. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Very important, that word corrupted lends to the word play that they were really redlining all the way. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, 
They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is our God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, the word stiff-necked is an interesting term. It's a farming term. And if you had two yoke of oxen or you had a horse or whatever pulling a wagon or pulling whatever it was and you would tug on the reins, in other words, you'd pull the head of the animal to one side, it would turn that way. Well, if it was stiff necked, that means it wouldn't turn. So here you are pulling on it, trying to get it to turn and it ain't turning. They are determined to go the direction they want to go. So verse 16 now, or verse 10 says, Now therefore, leave me alone that I may, my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them, and I'll make of you, Moses, a a great nation. He goes, I'll tell you what, let me just burn them up, let me fry them, and I'll just start over with you. Seems logical. Now, real quick here, I don't believe God really was going to destroy the children of Israel. But I do believe that God allows circumstances, uncomfortable as they may be, to develop our character. Now listen, if you really are a Christian here today, you can really say, our Father which art in heaven, if you can really say Daddy, then you know that your dad is going to train you to be the most effective servant you can be for him. The most effective child you can be for him. And I believe God puts us in sometimes very awkward situations to see what we'll do. Now, wouldn't this be a different book if we were to read the next verse like this? And I'll just make this up, okay, so you know. And I'll make of you a great nation. Moses said, great, I get all of their stuff. We're going to start over again with me, and I'll be your fair-haired child. Moses didn't do that. Why is it? Because I believe God, in the trials of others, develops our personalities, develops our character through his word. Now, if you never experience any sorrow, grief, trouble in your life, I can venture to say you're probably pretty spoiled because you haven't had to reach down deep in your soul to find out what you're made of. You say, Mike, why is that important? Tell you this, you will never know who your friends are until you go through problems. In high school, you got a full tank of gas, you got a car, you're everybody's friend. Till daddy takes the T-bird away. And when daddy takes the T-bird away, now you're at home by yourself. The phone isn't ringing off the hook. Hey man, come over, let's go hang out. No, they found somebody else. It may not be till you lose your business. You may not be till you lose your family. It may not be till you lose something in your life that is important to you when almost everybody abandons you Do you know who your friends are when they walk in when everybody else walks out? And you know, we don't want to think about that. We want to think, yeah, hey, I'm the popular guy, yeah. 
And then you go through something and people turn their back on you, friends. They were never your friend in the first place. They were user. They're fair weather friends. And we might think, well, I've got hundreds of friends. You may think that, but you will never know until you go through something extremely difficult in your life. Moses was a person that God had challenged. Moses, let me just destroy them. I'll start all over with you. How about that? How's that? Is that a pretty good idea? Notice Moses' response. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said. Now, by the way, it says his God. I think it's interesting. If you look at the life of King David, you look at the life of King Saul, the first king of Israel. Oftentimes you'll say, you'll see Saul reference God, but he'll say something like this. The Lord, your God. That's what Saul would say. David would say, the Lord, my God. Moses would say, the Lord, my God. Saul said, the Lord, your God. It's interesting, you can be in a position, you can have an air of godliness, but really not know who God is at all. Well, Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, God brought them out to harm them? to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your fierce wrath and relent from this to your people. He's saying, Lord, what would the headlines read tomorrow in the paper that you brought them out out of the land of Egypt and then you killed them all in the wilderness? This doesn't look good. Using some real wisdom here. And I'm sure that as God is listening to Moses' heart, It probably pleased him more than any other thing when he heard Moses interceding for his people. Instead of saying, yeah, wipe them out, it'll all be mine. He intercedes and says, no, Lord, this is not what you do. And notice it says, he pleaded with him. Remember, verse 13, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you swore to your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and all that is in the land I have spoke to give to them to your descendants, so they will inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. That is from man's perspective that God relented, or God changed his mind. Because you get up a few more books of the Bible, it says, God says, I do not change. Now, it isn't that God would not have done it. That's what they deserved. But it is interesting that a person named Moses interceded for the people. I wonder today how many of you, Moseses, are here today interceding for your lost loved ones, kids, moms, dads, co-workers, next-door neighbors, We intercede. That's what we are. We're intercessors. God says he's going to have us, all of us as Christians in 21st century America, a generation of kingdom of priests. What do priests do? They represent God to the people and the people to God. Now, I think sometimes in shame when I have not represented God the way I know I should have. 
And to that, apology is due. But when we have been made a kingdom of priests to God, we intercede for those. Now, I know that oftentimes we don't want to pray for our enemies or, you know, pray good things. Yeah, God, kill them. I mean, that seems like a, a logical prayer for a lot of times. But God doesn't say to do that. We're to intercede for them. Why? Because they're blind. The Bible says sin blinds people to reality. Do you realize when you talk to the people, oftentimes that make us so angry, they're only on this earth for a short period of time. And after this life, the Bible says there is a judgment. There's no reincarnation. There's no getting somebody out of purgatory. There's no praying or baptizing for the dead. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, after this life, the judgment. It's a one-shot deal. Death seals us in the condition we're in. What condition are you in today? Have you recognized Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you invited him into your life? Is your purpose for your life to please the King of kings and Lord of lords and receive an eternal reward? Or is it still all about me? If it is, I would really invite you to consider Jesus here today because you're going to trade away something you can't keep. Your life, the days of your life, click by, and then it's gone. But you're trading it away for something you will never lose, that position in heaven with a Father in heaven that loves you. And by the way, that's the way God wants us to relate with him. Have you ever noticed foreign religions? I just got back from Hawaii a couple of weeks ago. Then last week, I think I had COVID or sick. I don't know what I had, but I was not in good shape. Maybe it was going from 83 degree weather to nine above. Maybe that's what it was. But whatever it was, I know this. When I was in Hawaii, there's a lot of Eastern culture there. And you'll see a lot of uh, temple, you know, Buddhist temples, things like that. And I thought, my heart is not stupid Buddhist or stupid this or stupid that, but God, how do I reach them? What can I do? How do I convey a God that wants to relate to them as a loving father, not as an unknowable God that must be appeased by burning incense, wearing certain clothes, all the things that people do to somehow get on the good side of God. But that God wants to just relate to us as a father in heaven. I go, wow, God, how do I do that? How do you convey that God is not mad at them? The anger that God had towards humanity was poured out on Jesus on the cross. Now, if you'll accept what Jesus has done for you, you can be restored, be blessed, and be part of God's kingdom. And the hands that you have, the feet that you have belong to God. God, what do you want me to do with them? It changes our whole concept in the way we live our life. It isn't that I'm, well, I just slipped Jesus in my pocket. I just live like I always did. Hey, man, I really I love that idea of fire insurance, but I'm going to keep doing what I do. That isn't what God wants. He's got good things for those who serve him. I think of all the scripts. You know, by the way, you know, the Bible says to count your blessings. You think of all the things that God got you through. 
You think about it for a minute. Remember when you were praying, oh God, I'm going to die. This is a train wreck. I'm going to die. And God got you through it. And we go, hallelujah, we have a Jesus breakdown. Oh, we're awesome. And we're just walking on clouds until the next trial comes. And then we're just like these guys in Israel. Okay, God, where'd you go? Is there anybody else out there? No, see, that's the problem. God gets us through that. But God, through the trials, and sometimes through the trials of others, develops your, my personality. Now, I want to just think I'm cool just the way I am. Yeah. And God comes along and says, you got a lot of rough edges here, and let me get my Holy Spirit grinder going on you here. And God begins to do that because it changes us. So instead of an arrogant Christian life, I can be transformed into a humble Christian life. You say, what's the difference? I see you're lost. How do I reach you? I see you're a religious person, but you're trying to appease a God that was appeased 2,000 years ago by Jesus on the cross. Or I can go, yep, I'm going to heaven. Too bad about you. What attitude should we have? I believe as it was with God speaking to Moses. Let me wipe him out. And Moses goes, no, God, that'll be terrible PR. The nightly news won't look good in Egypt. God saves them all and then kills them all. And God refines Moses' personality for the days to come. Now, he tells us, God relented from the harm which he would do to his people. You know, God's a good God. God doesn't hold grudges. By the way, neither should we. Forgiveness is part of that that comes from God. If you've been forgiven this morning by God today, you can forgive others. You say, but Mike, you don't know how mean people have been to me. Yes, I do, because people have been mean to me too. I understand that. But I don't forgive them based upon me. I forgive them based upon what God has done for me. There, by the grace of God, go I and go you. And when I realize what Jesus did for us on the cross, that not only when he died on the cross, he relented from what he was going to do to all of humanity, that we all have eternal life. The Bible says, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful, just, to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever had that unrighteous feeling? Ever went out on a weekend on a bender? And you come home and you're in the shower trying to wash that feeling off. Well, that's the unrighteousness. But it doesn't wash off on the outside. Your heart needs a washing. And only Jesus' blood takes that away. You see, you have committed, I have committed crime against God. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You mean just a little bit of sin requires something to die? Yes, exactly. That's what the whole Old Testament's about. But when we accept Christ as our Savior, Jesus' blood covered it all. That's why when we have communion and we have the cup in our hands, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, his blood covered your wrongs. 
I like that. I didn't have to pay a priest off. I didn't have to make some deal in a dark alley someplace. All I had to do is remember why Jesus died. His blood covered your sins. You're righteous before God, but I don't feel worthy. No, and you probably never will. Do you know why? Because you're not. Nor am I. The only worthiness I have is what God has given me. I heard a girl one time years ago in the Jesus movement, and uh, we were talking, and, and I, she said something, and I said, well, we're not worthy. And she goes, I know. You know what else? I said, what? She goes, I don't care. You see, when in Jesus, we're not worthy, but it's not our concern. God made us worthy. And that that you keep thinking, well, God, you know, if you'll answer this prayer for me, I'll go to church for five weeks straight. I'll even keep my eyes open in service. Whatever it might be, we try to make deals with God. That's what I'm talking about. You don't need to do that. That's what the blood's about. By his stripes, we are healed. Peter quotes this out of the Old Testament. His stripes were healed. We need to be healed. You know, there's a lot wrong with us. Have you noticed that? Have you looked at the newspaper lately? There's a lot wrong with humanity. By his stripes, we're healed. There is a means by which you can be healed. Now, you say, but Mike, I, I don't feel a cold coming on. I don't have cancer. No, no. It, sometimes it can be physical. But more than that, it's internal. It's in you, the composite of your life, the paths, the alleys you've gone down in your life, all those scars that you've gotten that cause you to flinch when somebody says something, by his stripes, you're healed. You need to be healed. You need to be healed from the memories of what people have done to you and what you have done to others. That's what healing is. Your ability to love, your ability to be loved. The way you see other people, whether we come across as an arrogant Christian, well, I'm going to heaven, too bad about you. Or do I have the heart, thank you, Lord, for saving me. How can I reach them? There's a difference that's involved. By his stripes, we're healed. So first of all, you've been cleansed. And when you're cleansed, freed up from your past, it frees you up for what what God wants to do in your future. When you're healthy spiritually, it doesn't matter. You know, when you know you're loved, it changes everything. I I heard an interesting story. It was about the king of Russia. Oh, it was like in the mid-1800s. And he visited a prison. And he walked through the prison and he began to just talk to the different prisoners. And he talked to this one and that one. And finally he came to one and he said, are you guilty of the crimes for which you're in prison for? The man hung his head and said, yes, I am completely guilty for what I've done. The king looked at his officers that were with him and said, Take this man immediately out of prison. For I don't want him corrupting the rest of all the righteous that are in here. And the king gave him a pardon. 
when he admitted what he was. This morning, if you're willing to admit you're a sinner, God's willing to forgive you of those sins and to let you have a brand new life. You need that. And by the way, Christianity goes far beyond John 3.16. The rest of the Bible tells us how we then shall live. We need to know that. What, and how to recognize God in a world that's so opposed to God that you'd be blessed. This morning, we have communion. And we're going to stop here. As we get in next week to some really bizarre stuff, Moses comes down out of the mountain. He's angry. He sees the golden calf. He sees probably half of them with no clothes on. He is mad. He commands the gold calf to be ground up. Well, we'll talk about that next week. You won't believe God's sense of humor. For you today, you need to be right with God. If you're not, we're going to pray. And we're pray, we're going to have communion. Then, if you like, we got some great food across the hall for fellowship. I think you'll enjoy that. But the most important thing is your life is right with God because God wants to bless you. But if he blesses you and the sin, then the sin is multiplied as well. So let's get rid of the sin so God can just bless you. Multiply what God wants to do in your life. Let's pray, okay? If you need to get right with God, you just pray this. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I am sorry for the foolish way that I have lived. And I invite you into my life today. Come live inside of me. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose from the dead to give me life every day. And so, give me more of a love for you. And those that don't know you, God, Thank you for writing my name in your book of life that I can spend eternity with you, never to be scared of dying ever again. And I put my life now in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.